You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. A couple of things this morning before we dive into the scriptures. Lauren has asked me, ladies, to invite you to the baby shower brunch this coming Saturday, benefiting the local pregnancy and parenting center. Gail Mullenix, if you'll stand. Gail is the director of the center. And yeah. And this is an opportunity for the ladies of our church to get together and fellowship over food and really an opportunity for us to bless this ministry of which we are proud and happy supporters. And Lauren has asked me to emphasize, look, if you, if you can't bring a gift on Saturday, please come anyway. Your, your support is more than just what you give. Your support and our support is uh, honestly uh, giving of ourselves and coming alongside Gail and this ministry through prayer and encouragement. So ladies, please come. It'll be an opportunity for you to get to know one another. And then lastly, um, on Sunday, March the 19th at 6 p.m., we're going to do something that we've really never done before. Lauren was really the genesis of this idea, too. I've, I've wanted to put together kind of something along the lines of an annual meeting for a while. And Lauren said, why not combine it with our birthday celebration? So, On Sunday, the 19th of March at 6 p.m., I want to invite you to come, and we're going to just share in a time of worship and fellowship together. There'll be a time for testimony. Um, It's always great to come together and hear how how God is working in our lives and working in our church. We'll talk about where we've been and where where we're headed as a church. There'll be a time for questions as well. Uh, Your opportunity to kind of ask anything you'd like to know about our church family. There are copies of the 2023 budget out there. Um, You can pick one of those up on your way out. If you have any questions about the church's finances, this will be a good opportunity to ask that. And then we'll share cake and ice cream downstairs afterward. Mountain View Church is uh, 18 years old this year. Yeah. So we want to celebrate that. And part of that celebration will involve Uh, licensing uh, Earl to the gospel ministry, which will give us an opportunity, yeah, to um, commission him as chaplain of the Clay County Sheriff's Department. And then we're going to commission Joe Doty as a deacon of Mountain Church. Yeah, so I'm excited about both of those things. So please come. And uh, let me just say, look, we don't do business meetings here, so don't expect that, all right? Expect an annual family gathering where we celebrate what God's done, what God's doing, and we just reflect together on where God has us headed, okay? All right. Well, I invite you to open the scriptures to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through the end of the chapter this morning. And I have to uh, admit to you that this encounter between Moses and God 
is I think one of the most profound conversations between a human being and the God of the universe in all of the Bible. And I hope as we dive into it this morning that you will think the same thing by the time that we're done. Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch until Moses had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and, descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all of the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I do know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Father, part of me feels like the curtain has been pulled back, and we have been invited to eavesdrop on something of a remarkable encounter. 
God, I pray this morning as we enter into it and we work our way through it, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would in fact cultivate a humility and a hunger among us for exactly what Moses experienced, yea, even more. For it is available to us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to start with a question that has really been on my mind as I've worked my way through this text this week, and it's very simple. Can you and I have with God what Moses had with God? That's point number one. Well, what exactly did Moses have with God? This passage highlights for us the fact that Moses enjoyed a particular kind of relationship with God, a relationship with God that no one else among the people of Israel enjoyed. And this is precisely the point. This is why we're given the scene in verses 7 through 11, immediately following the golden calf debacle. Now, if you'll remember, last week the people of Israel wanted Moses to have this kind of relationship with God. When Moses first spoke to the people from the mountain, the people cowered and said, Moses, you speak to us rather than Yahweh. And ultimately, God called that a good thing because God is in the business of playing the long game and he's writing a story that will ultimately culminate in the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, of whom Moses is a type or a precursor. Now, we've seen Moses go up and down the mountain. We know that Moses talks with God there on the mountain, but we've not been told much about their relationship. We've not been told much about the kinds of conversations that they have other than that Moses received the blueprints for the tabernacle during the 40-day period that he was on the mountain. No wonder then that the people respond the way that they do in verses 7 through 11 when Moses strolls out of the camp, enters this tent that he set up outside the camp, and the glory cloud descends from the mountain to the entrance of the tent, and God meets with him there. Is it any wonder that the rest of the people were in complete and total awe of what was happening? Is it any wonder that they all came out of their tents and they just stood and they watched as Moses entered and the cloud descended over the entrance? Is it any wonder that they bowed to their knees in worship? They were simply in awe of this man who had what can only be described and in fact what is described as a friendship with God. Now here's the thing. This kind of relationship Moses had with God, it was one of a kind among all the people of Israel. 
But you get the sense in the book of Exodus that it was the kind of relationship that God wanted to have with all of his people. The kind of relationship that in fact he intended to have with all of them. The kind of relationship with God for which you and I were created. Humanity's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden severed the friendship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God. And in the book of Genesis, in those early chapters, it is in fact described like a friendship. Adam and Eve walking with God, talking with God, fellowshipping with God in the cool of the day. God teaching them about what it was to live in his world and to live in relationship with him and to manage God's world for his glory. Post-fall, Adam and Eve became like the people of Israel. On the outside looking in at everything they had forfeited because of their disobedience. They could only worship from a distance. They could only look on at what Moses had with God in wonder and in awe. And this is in fact what Israel had done and what they had chosen when they had chosen to exchange the glory of God for the glory of created things. And yet here's the good news if we fast forward to the culmination of the story. God has made a way for any person willing to take him up on it, to return to the presence of God, to return to friendship and fellowship with God through the person of his son, through the great mediator, Christ Jesus, through our high priest. The way into friendship with God is open again because God took the initiative through his son to open the door and to invite us back into the garden. So the question is, can we have what Moses had with God? And the answer in some sense is no. But in another sense, it's yes, because Jesus. We simply have to respond to the invitation. And the two requests that Moses makes in this passage give us insight into exactly how we do that with humility and with hunger. Look back at the text beginning in verse 12. Beginning in verse 12, we have a conversation between Moses and Yahweh, presumably the conversation following the golden calf incident where, frankly, things are still up in the air between Yahweh and the people. In verse 6 of chapter 33, we read this, therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. They did that in response to Yahweh, who basically said like any father would who caught their child with 
a hand in the cookie jar. You stand right there until I determine what to do with you. That's what God says. So Moses goes into the presence of Yahweh. And as God's appointed mediator, out of love for Yahweh and love for these people, what does he do but try to bring the two together again? And he does so with great humility. We see in verse 12 that Moses says, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if that's the case, please show me your ways. At the heart of the kind of friendship with God that Moses enjoyed is a sincere desire to know God. That's exactly what Moses says. Please show me your ways that I may what? Know you. That I may know you. Moses wants to know the heart of God. Not to merely know about God, but to know God. Now, there's a difference. The living God is not a subject to be known and mastered like math. The living God is not an object to be observed and studied, cataloged and shelved like a fossil. The living God isn't a philosophical question or a mystery to be solved. The living God is a personal being. In fact, an eternal triune community for whom relationship is the most natural thing of all and with whom you and I were created for relationship. In other words, to know God is not to know an object, but a subject. Not a thing, but an I. An I that I know in relationship. The I who knows me by name. It's significant when Moses says, you know me by name. We have a relationship. To know God is to know God in relationship. To know God in relationship is to be changed by God in and through that relationship into a person who wants what God wants. This is why Moses can say from the heart, you know me by name. We are in relationship with one another Please show me your ways. This is why David prays as he does in at least two places in the Psalms. In Psalm 25, 4 and 5, David says, Make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait. All the day long. This is why the Apostle John writes in his first letter. 1 John chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Christ. By this we know that we are connected to him in a life-giving way. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Thus Moses prays, please show me your ways. The true friend of God, in fact the true friend of Jesus, is eager to know the ways of Jesus so that he can follow in the footsteps of Jesus. In fact, so that he can walk side by side and hand in hand with Jesus. It's hard on a human level for folks who consider themselves friends to walk in two different directions. In fact, that's not even possible. Knowing God and obeying God. Knowing the Lord Jesus and obeying the Lord Jesus. And that beginning with a desire to know what it looks like to obey him. Is one of the key things that characterizes friendship with God. Jesus himself, toward the end of his earthly life, in fact on the night before he was arrested or the night before he was crucified, rather, he had this intimate conversation with his disciples and he told them this very thing, But John 15, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his what? Friends. You are my friends, underline the word, if... You do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is, this is in a sense a picture of the very relationship that Moses enjoyed with Yahweh. The kind of relationship where Yahweh opened up his heart to Moses and Moses simply wanted in this instance to know what God wanted from him. This is why knowing God and humility go hand in hand. If we're going to follow God, then we must be willing for God to lead us. If we're going to follow God, we must posture ourselves in such a way that we're willing to receive direction from Christ, trusting that in any and all circumstances, he really does know the right path. This, in fact, helps us understand something of what genuine faith is. Genuine faith is trust in action. Genuine faith is trust that results in action that is rooted in a belief about that individual who's leading you to do whatever it is 
that individual is leading you to do. Moses' prayer in verses 12 to 17 is nothing if not humble. Please show me your ways. You've told me that you want me to lead this people up. But based on where things stand between you and this people, based on the fact that You've indicated that you might not go with us. Can you please give me some direction? Can you please tell me who you're going to send? I want to lead them, but I need your help. These sound like the words of a leader in relationship with and submissive to God. Can I say that I have the same genuine desire for the Lord's leadership in my life? Can I say, without hesitation, that no matter what area of my life I'm looking to God for direction in, I'm willing to submit that area of my life to his leadership? Can you say that? Can you and I honestly say together as a church with the humblest of hearts, please show us your ways. In fact, can we go so far as to say with Moses, if you're not going to go with us, if you're not going to lead us, then don't make us go up from here. If we don't have your presence, if we don't have clear instructions from you, if if we don't in fact know that you're with us from beginning to end, we don't want to move. We don't want to take another step. Do we have those kinds of hearts as God's people? This requires humility. In fact, There is probably no more essential characteristic in the would-be friend of God than humility. We see it in the life of our Savior. It's demonstrated for us particularly in Philippians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul talks about how Jesus did not consider the fact that he was equal with God something to be held onto or grasped. Instead, He gave it up and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. In a very real sense, the prayer of Moses is the prayer of a disciple, the prayer of a follower of Jesus who is intent on learning his teacher's thoughts and words and deeds so that he can follow in his teacher's footsteps. The one who is a friend of God, the one who is in relationship with the Lord, must be eager and willing to obey the Lord Jesus. My friend, is that you? If you consider yourself, quote unquote, saved today, do you consider that a past tense thing that happened to you once upon a time. 
A thing whereby you gained your insurance card for the next life? Or do you recognize that you've been welcomed into a relationship with the living God? That Jesus is now, in fact, your rabbi, your teacher, your king. And that the posture of someone who is truly saved is the kind of posture reflected in the prayer of Moses. Please teach me your ways. I want to follow you. I want my life to reflect you. You lead, I'll follow. Look back at the text. Moses, after receiving an answer to this prayer in verse 12, becomes in my mind a bit more audacious. Right? In verse 12 of, I'm sorry, in verse 8 and verse 17 of chapter 33, the Lord tells Moses, this very thing that you've spoken of, I will do for you. You have found favor in my sight and I do know you by name. I'm going to go up with you from this place and I'm going to lead you and this people to the land that I've promised to give them in spite of their covenant infidelity. And then what does Moses pray? Please show me your glory. Behind Moses' desire for Yahweh's leadership is a sincere desire to know Yahweh better. Moses wants to know more of God. He wants to know how Yahweh is going to deal with this stubborn, stiff-necked, sinful people if he's going to accompany them to the promised land. Will God be fundamentally merciful to them or is it just a matter of time before God breaks out against them in righteous anger as an enemy? Moses is hungry. And along with the characteristic of humility, you and I, if we would be friends of God, we must be hungry to know more of God. This is all summed up in Moses' second request. Show me your glory. God, who are you most deeply? Please show me. Moses asks. Essentially, Moses is saying, I want more of you. I've, I've heard your voice. I want to see your face. I want to know you as you know me. Twice in the previous paragraph, Moses has made it clear that God knows him through and through. God knows him by name, which means God knows everything there is to know about Moses. He knows his character inside and out. Moses wants God to reciprocate. Moses says, I want to know you like you know me. Told you it was an audacious request. Moses knows, and this is one of the things that's remarkable to me. Moses knows he has only experienced a tiny fraction of who God is. 
And Moses wants it all. He wants to stand under the raging water at the base of Niagara Falls and he wants to open his mouth. He wants to be overwhelmed with more and more and more of Yahweh. A little bit isn't enough. A glass of water from Moses isn't enough. Give me Niagara Falls. Put me on a boat. Let me literally stand under the raging waters and let me be overwhelmed by who you are. And just what does Yahweh do with Moses' audacious request? He answers it with one caveat. Just one. Look back at the text. And Yahweh said to him, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, or the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now, if you're paying attention to the flow of the text, you may have the same question that I had at the beginning of the week. Wait a second. In verses 7 through 11, we're told that Moses had the kind of relationship with God as if he were speaking to God face to face as a person speaks to a friend. But here Yahweh says, you can't see my face and live. What gifts? Well, in verses 7 through 11, we're being given a picture, an idiom, if you will, a cultural expression. To have close intimate connection with another person, to have the kind of friendship with God that Moses had, could be described as being face-to-face. Knowing and being known. In fact, we're told there that the cloud came down and descended where? At the entrance of the tent. At the entrance of the tent. So Moses heard God's voice. Moses had intimate conversations with God, but Moses never what? Moses never saw God. Moses wants more. Moses wants to see the full-blown glory of God face to face. And God says, Moses, that's not a good idea. (laughs) I like you. I don't want to kill you. (laughs) It's essentially what he says. I'd like for this friendship to continue. Moses is hungry. Moses wants to see God. And God says to Moses, here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and my glory will pass by and I'll take my hand away and you can see my back for no person can see my face and live. And when I pass by, I will proclaim my name to you. In other words, I will expose you to more of my character. I will tell you 
who I really am, who I most deeply am. God puts it this way. I will proclaim what? Before you my name, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. Now, this whole caveat about not being able to see the face of God, even Moses, as close as he was to God, not being able to see the full glory of God revealed is picked up on in the New Testament. In fact, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. A gospel, by the way, if you're keeping up, that we've gone to time and time again in search of very deliberate connections between the Exodus story in the coming of Christ. Now listen to what John says, beginning in verse 14. Now we've read this verse before in connection with the tabernacle, but it applies here too. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have what? Seen. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth from the very presence of God came through Jesus Christ. Nobody's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known, and we looked him in the eyes. We saw him. Now, this is reinforced later in the Gospel of John when Philip asks, a question similar to the one Moses asks in Exodus chapter 33. Listen in on this conversation in John chapter 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now this time, Jesus doesn't answer in quite the same way that Yahweh answered Moses. In fact, he answers Philip with something of a mild rebuke intended to help us connect the dots and draw the right conclusions about who Jesus is and why he came. Friends, the Lord Jesus, as clearly communicated by the Apostle John, is the final answer to Moses' prayer. He came to embody the self-revelation of the Father shared only partially with Moses in this amazing encounter. He is the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness, the mercy and the justice of God revealed in flesh and blood. 
as the Lord Jesus told Philip, to know Jesus is to know in full the God who revealed himself to Moses. In fact, to know Jesus, now get this, get this, to know Jesus is to know the God who revealed himself to Moses in a much more profound way than Moses could have ever imagined. This means that to pray Moses' prayer today is to expect much more than Moses got because of Christ. One author calls this request, please show me your glory, the prayer that God loves to answer most. Why do you think that is? Fundamentally, God wants his people to know him. When you and I pray this prayer, do you know what the Father says? Yes, absolutely. Have you met my son? He is my greatest delight. I could not be more pleased with anyone. He is the radiance of my glory, the exact representation of my nature. He is everything that I am. And when you look full into his wonderful face, you need not worry about dying for he will cause you to what? Live. When you and I pray this prayer, the Holy Spirit moves into action to reveal more of the glory of Christ to our hearts. When you and I pray this prayer, we are asking the Spirit to pull back the veil and to show us the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ so that we can worship Him, so that we can be in all of Him, but ultimately so that we can become what? More like This is exactly what the Apostle Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to what he writes in verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Wine. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one glory, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now that passage Paul uses and draws comparisons to how Moses would come out of the tent with veiled face because of the shining glory radiating from him due to his time in the presence of God. But the Apostle Paul says that it's not only about Moses. Now, all of us with unveiled face through the eyes of faith are able to behold the glory of Christ revealed in the gospel and thus as we behold him to become like him. Now, friends, do you know what this means? It means that everyone who belongs to the Lord Jesus sees more of the glory of God than Moses ever did. Now, can you believe that? 
One day we will see Jesus face to face. We will look him in the eyes and he will look into ours. And in that moment we will experience both a satisfaction like we have never known and a hunger to know more. And Jesus will take us by the hand and he will welcome us into our forever home where we will share friendship with him forever. And that hunger and that desire, it'll only ever grow because there will be infinite things to know of him. In the meantime, you and I behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith. We feast on his goodness when we read the scriptures. We feast on his goodness when we praise his name. We feast on his goodness when we pray. We feast on his goodness when we fellowship around the table. We feast on his goodness when we enjoy time with one another. We feast on his goodness when we walk in obedience to him. What if this request became our go-to request when praying for our spouses? Lord, show my beloved wife your glory. What if it became our request when praying for our children and our grandchildren? Lord, show my girls your glory. What if it became our go-to request when praying for our neighbors, for our church, our community? We know through Moses and through Philip, this is, this is a prayer that God delights to answer. We began this morning with a question. Can you and I have with God what Moses had with God? I hope you realize now that the answer is essentially no. We can have more with God than what Moses enjoyed with God. Having seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that your word would take root in our hearts and that, Father, it would produce in us an abundance of fruit Lord, how sweet it is to be known by you. How sweet it is to know that through Christ Jesus, our names are forever etched into your book. How sweet it is in relationship with you to know that you are our shepherd. How sweet it is to be invited by you to then pray in relationship with you Lord, please show me your glory. Oh man, may that become a request that is ever at the top of our lists and first on our lips. As we respond in praise now, Lord, may we make it a key request for Mountain View Church. Lord, please show us your glory. Show us more of Christ. Let us grow more in love with him. 
And Lord, as we do that, may we have more and more and more of a desire to obey him. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.